welcome to Novel Thoughts, a book chat podcast hosted by me, Sapphire Bates. And me, Joseph Dance. And me, Michelle Thomas. Three book lovers from East Kent. Every week, one of us will pick a book, maybe an old favourite or something we've just read and loved, and the three of us will read and discuss it. We'll also chat about what culture we've consumed that week and take questions from you, our lovely listeners. This week's book is A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. But before we talk about that, how are we all? How's your week's been? Good. Thank you very much. What what have you been up to? Working, reading, uni, basically. Sounds productive. I've had a good week. Um, I'm taking my driving theory test soon, so I've been hard at it. A bit depressing. <laughs> it's very exciting. I'm uh, very excited for you. Thank you. I'm not, but thank you. Well, being able to drive is a useful skill. I still can't, so... Okay. Once you've passed, tell me I'll how hard that. it is. <laughs> yeah. It's really easy and I, I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to drive. But yeah. What have you been reading? I have been listening to a lot of podcasts, actually, and not reading that much, I have to admit. Um, I've got like three half-finished books that I need to get on with. Okay. What, what top podcast? Go. Give me a recommendation. Oh, I don't know if I'd recommend it, but I did enjoy I've been reading, listening to some history podcasts. So um, Mary Beard's got a new one about life in ancient Rome. Um, it's on Radio 4 and it's a six episode series where it's, uh, she starts off talking about Marcus Aurelius, but then she moves on to like more normal people, I guess. So it's like life of, you know, moving beyond just emperors and senators and talking about like normal everyday ancient Romans, people at Hadrian's Wall and being an enslaved woman in an enforced marriage, that kind of thing. Joseph, what's been going on with you in terms of books, podcasts, TV? I have been reading Brainworms by Alison Rumfit. Do you oh, know about this one? Yes. It's a bit of a special tome. <laughs> Oh, it's so gross, but so good. It is so gross. And I don't know, I think this is her second or third novel. Um, I read Tell Me I'm Worthless when it came out last year and absolutely loved that. That's the book about the haunted house terrorising three trans women and it's kind of social satire and horror and it's a really, really great mix. So this is, uh, Brainworms is all about a 20-something um, trans woman called Frankie who has her workplace blown up by anti-trans terrorists. So quite a dramatic start. Um, I mean, basically she spirals into like a chaotic lifestyle of drugs and binge eating and promiscuity until she um, starts a relationship, a highly dysfunctional relationship with a very mysterious character called Vanya. And um, it turns out Vanya has a secret a really unpleasant left-field secret. A very, un- very unpleasant secret. Parasites. And um, I'm going to leave it there because I don't want to yeah, spoil no the plot spoilers. from anyone. No, no, absolutely. This is a no-spoiler <laughs> show. But it's a great mix of um, body horror and culture war satire. And, um, you know, as with all of her novels, there's that bigger message there about transphobia and what it does to society and how it rots your brains. Um, so I definitely recommend it. Amazing. So I've just read, I just finished last night, I read Down the Drain by Julia Fox. Have either of you read it yet? No. No. Memoir uh, vibes. Now, she was in Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler. (gasps) Love that film. Yes. So she's his uh, mistress, his lover, the really cool, fun girl, the role that she she plays, I should say, woman, really. Um, That's what I knew her from. But I think she's quite famous in New York as a kind of maybe like fashionista, kind Mm. of like club scene. Um, Really, really good. So I didn't know much about her, but I quite like a memoir about people I don't really know. I don't really do the big celebrity memoirs. Um, Really good. She she had a really um, 
difficult upbringing and and struggled with a lot in terms of, of her parents and she struggled with addiction um, and faced some some really difficult things in her life and she's just so honest about it and so frank and it, it was really good. It was hard to read at times but it was also funny um, and just really enjoyed it, really liked it and I, I do like a memoir sometimes. What Ooh. made you pick it up? Ooh. I really liked the cover. Um, <laughs> good. Yep. I'm just going to, I'm being honest. Um, really cool cover, a really cool shoot. And I just was intrigued by it. I mean, I, I'm a trainee social worker, so I quite like things, books that are looking at things like addiction or family dynamics. Um, I'm quite drawn to those kind of stories. So that kind of caught my eye. Um, and I didn't really know anything about her. So I was, I was intrigued. I was like, who is this woman? And, and what is her story? Cool. We should say we'll put any references to books in the show notes. So if there's anything you're interested in, um, you can find uh, the books we're talking about there. Now, I do think that we should talk about the Booker Prize because obviously we are recording end of November. Um, it's not coming into your ears, I don't think, until January, but we're a little, a little bit behind you guys. So the Booker Prize winner has just been announced and I know, Joseph, it was on your radar. What were your thoughts? Um, so this was Profit Song by Paul Lynch. I thought this was absolutely brilliant. Um, it's a very harrowing book. It's an emotional trial of a book. And um, it's about a 40-something-year-old woman, Eilish. She's a scientist. She lives in Dublin with her family of four. And um, Ireland is basically descending into fascism. And it's about how she survives the difficult choices she makes um, to get her family out of Ireland um, again, no spoilers, but it's it, there are scenes in that book that will stay with me for a long time. I think it's very much with what's happening around the world, well, with what's always happening around the world, it's a book of the moment. Um, so I think the judges might have um, been thinking of kind of, you know, it's political message in that sense. It beat off some really stiff competition. Uh, Chetna Maru's Western Lanes, brilliant. I absolutely love that. Sarah Bernstein's um, Study for Obedience, another great, small, kooky book, um, and crucially beat off uh, Paul Murray's The Beasting, which has just been named, like, the best book by everyone. Um, so, yeah, I definitely recommend reading it, but it's a, it's a really difficult read. I've made it one chapter in, so it's another book of my pile of I've read a bit of it and not finished it yet. Hmm. <laughs> and what do you think? So far, um, well, I put it down and then I've got distracted. So I think I'll probably start it again, actually, <laughs> completely. Yeah, it's it's one mm. of those books that I, I mean, I read it in one sitting. Yeah. And I know it's got a lot of criticism because uh, Paul Lynch, like a lot of um, modern writers, doesn't put his speech in speech marks. So um, a lot of people said it's quite difficult to follow. It's quite stream of consciousness. But I think that's what gives its, its energy. Mm. Um, it's a book about... A societal breakdown, a really troubling time, and you kind of you start the book, and you you don't really you don't really get to catch your breath when she starts the narration when Eilish starts speaking about what's happening to her and her family. So I think the the, the format really fits the message. Yeah, so, so I think I think I will start it again and read it properly, like really get stuck in. It's a maybe from me. We'll revisit. We'll it's a revisit. hard one. It's a hard one. Yeah, I can respect that. Okay, let's dive in, guys, because I'm I'm really excited. So let's talk about the book that we've all been and read. Um, let's dive into A Little Life. Now, listeners, please know we've been spoiler-free up until this point. Um, we are going to deep dive into this book. So if you haven't read it yet, you might want to hold off unless you don't mind 
some spoilers. It has been out for a while. Yeah, I'd be surprised if you didn't know a lot of what happens in this book so far, as it has been quite a cultural phenomenon. Um, but let me give you a synopsis for those of you that, that maybe need a little reminder. So, the million-copy bestseller A Little Life by Hanya Yangihara is an immensely powerful and heartbreaking novel of brotherly love and the limits of human endurance. When four graduates from a small Massachusetts college move to New York to make their way, they're broke, adrift, and buoyed only by their friendship and ambition. There is kind, handsome Willem, an inspiring actor, JB, a quick-witted, sometimes cruel, Brooklyn-born painter seeking entry to the art world, Malcolm, a frustrated architect at a prominent firm, and withdrawn, brilliant, enigmatic Jude, who serves as their centre of gravity. Over the decades, their relationships deepen and darken, tinged by addiction, success and pride. Yet their greatest challenge each comes to realise is Jude himself. By midlife, a terrifyingly talented litigator, yet an increasingly broken man, his mind and body scarred by an unspeakable childhood and haunted by what he fears is a degree of trauma that he'll not only be unable to overcome, but that will define his life forever. So... Initial thoughts upon perhaps picking it up. Um, it's quite heavy. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's over 700 pages. You could easily kill someone with this book, literally. I mean, it's like you said, it's, a, it's been a kind of a, it's been a publishing phenomenon, hasn't it? Since it was first, since it first came out in 2015, it's been shortlisted for everything. Um, and it's, it's a book talk book. It's a bookstagram book. I think I knew it kind of came back on my radar um, because of the play. And obviously there was a lot of furore about the play and there was the whole thing about people taking pictures of James Norton naked and so it hit the headlines. And that was when I picked it up and I knew vaguely that it was a hard read and it was I, I needed to be strong in my mind to read it. So that was what I was. I went into it aware that it wasn't going to be a... A jolly rump. <laughs> a fun ride. <laughs> so we all have been rereading it this time around. This, for no, this, this was my first read. This is my third read. Oh, so I, re I read it when it came out in 2015 because <laughs> I just wanted to know what all the fuss was about. Then I parked it and got on with my life because it was too traumatic. Read it again when we talked about reading it for this uh, podcast. And I've just listened to Oliver Winman narrate it on Audible. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I mean, I have thoughts on three times. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I, I had the book, but I also got it on Audible because I find sometimes it's easier for me to re listen to books than it is to read them because I can do other things while I'm listening, like walking the dog. So I sort of did half and half. Okay. Well, I know, right, we mentioned awards. So it was shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize in 2015. It was shortlisted for the Bailey's Prize for Women's Fiction in 2016. And it was a finalist for the National Book Awards in 2015. Um, so it's actually Hanya's second book, her first being The People in the Trees, which I think was 2013. And she's since released another book, Post A Little Life, which was To Paradise in 2022. Um, what I found really interesting about this book is that it was released in 2015, but it didn't really come onto my radar until perhaps like 2021. I think I finally read it in 2022, so last last year. Um, but it, it grew, its momentum grew so much. I think People in the Trees only actually sold a, a few thousand copies. So I don't think Hanya herself 
and her publishers were necessarily expecting this to to be a bestseller um, and to take off like it did. But that, to me, that element of it has been really interesting. People have been obsessed, whether or not because they disliked it or they loved it. There's just been so much internet chatter around this book to the point, as you said, it was turned into a play, um, which I went to see. Um, thoughts on that, but I'm going to come back around to that, to be honest. Yeah, and it's just it's just taken off. I think so many people have at least heard of this book, if not having read it. Now, I I personally loved the book, um, and I'm kind of intrigued. Did you guys what what overall thoughts upon reading it? Is it in like, okay, dislike? Where are I we? I pretty at? much hated this book. <gasps> <laughs> I liked it to start with. I thought this is great. I thought it's like um like a kind of the group, but updated and with male protagonists. And I was like, really interested to know all four of them as these equal protagonists and their story. And then it's around page 300, everything switches and it becomes Jude the Obscure. Hmm, okay, Joseph. It becomes the Jude show. I, I, That's kind of how I felt. If, if I mean, you asked, did did we hate it? Did we like it? I'm that smiley face, just with a line instead of a smile. I kind um, of, I, I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm stuck. I'm, I'm, I've read it three times. I've listened to it once, and um, definitely listening to it helped because the the narrative is quite claustrophobic. I mean, we've said that we're, we're going to talk about the plot and spoilers. There's a lot of self-harm in this book and that's a lot to, to get through and it's very repetitive. So I think listening to it was really helpful. Getting someone else to do that emotional heavy lifting and bring mm. those characters to life. Um, I won't say I disliked it, but I have some reservations about it. And the more I read around the book, the more I see it as a potentially quite a problematic book. That's interesting. I, I think we'll come to it when we chat about weaknesses, um, because I know that yeah, there's quite a lot of arguments around what these these problems with the book are. But ge- generally, I'm quite surprised because I really loved it. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you. I know. Sorry. Yeah. And I was like, this is going to be doing this a lot. <laughs> this is uh, this is going to be a winner. Like I'm going to first book. I've made a strong choice. It's a strong choice. It's a, yeah, it's a strong Definitely choice. Definitely a strong choice. Yeah. I think it's better that we all have strong feelings about it than we just coming in kind of going, well, it was all right, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. And look, I'm happy on this podcast for us to disagree. I'm, I'm here for it. I love I love a good debate, a good kind of like natter. But yeah, just surprised because I, it's up there in one of my favourite books. <laughs> Taxi. <laughs> Are we done? <laughs> Taxi for Sarah. So... <laughs> so let's let's start off with characters what who did we like who didn't we was there any kind of standout characters for you anyone you strongly disliked the only character i really felt any affinity with was jb just because he got the fuck out of that mess as quickly as he possibly could I didn't really, I didn't really like JB that much. I felt for him. I felt for him with his the the chapters that kind of went into JB's story and and his perspective, and and he often felt quite isolated from the group, and and he made mistakes throughout the book that that caused fractured fractures in their friendships. But I also thought he was a bit of an idiot. Like I don't think he was that kind in comparison to the other characters. Totally. I mean, and I think that's one of my issues with the book is that you don't really get a lot of JB. You don't really get a lot of Malcolm. As Michelle says, after page 
320. God, I thought it was sooner than that, actually. It, <laughs> it, it does become, you know, Jude. It's mm. Jude the Obscure. It's the Jude show. Um, so I would have liked to have read more about JB and his upbringing and, and how that character developed, but we just don't get that. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I would have liked it if it had been a more equal story of all four of them. And I found Jude so frustrating that, in all honesty, I would have probably killed him myself. What was it that frustrated you about Everything him? about him. And I think this is, I mean, it's one of the things where we get into the issues around some of the problems we talked about. But I think, oh, it's really weird. I don't understand the motivation of an author who sets up a character so that they can stick pins in their eyes. And that's what it felt like. And I found the the sort of weirdness of like, Jude is so perfect. Jude is so angelic. Everybody loves Jude. He's really successful. He's really rich. He's brilliant. He's a, like, you know, concert piano level pianist. He's, he could do, he can do everything. And, and he, all these people love him. And he's so fucking miserable. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, you know. <laughs> what is the matter with you, man? Get therapy. So just simple jealousy then, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't really jealous of, of his childhood and his, you know, inability to walk. That kind of sucked. Okay. And his propensity for self-harming was also problematic. But I honestly, I think I would have just said to him, man up or, you know, shit will get off the pot, Jude, really, you know. Oh, I feel like <laughs> I have to fight Jude's corner since nobody <laughs> else here is going to do it. But I want to. <laughs> I I really liked Jude. Like, he's he's got problems and, and he's not understatement of, of the century, perhaps. But he... <sighs> I, I, I think we've got to take on board how much trauma this young man, and just man, middle-aged man, but near the end of the book, um, has been through. And I, I, to me, it's not as simple as saying, I, I get why the desire to be like, pull yourself together, get some help, you know, do something about this. But I, I don't think he can. I don't, I don't think it's it's as simple as that. I want to give him the credit that that it, he's been through so much and had so little support. He might have this support network and, and we're seeing this group, but really how much are those friends doing for him? Yes, they stand by him throughout the book and they love him, but actually nobody wants to have the hard conversations with him. They mm. dance around it. Um, all but these... that's fair to me. I don't think friends are therapists. That's why therapists exist. Yeah, they, they're his support network, but he needs psychological help. He does, but at no point does anybody say that to they him. Do. Mm. They do, they do, they do, they do. They, but yeah. in, a, in a softly, softly. No, because Andy, Andy's always threatening to section him. Andy Damwell should have done. Yeah, Andy, <laughs> Andy is the only person in the book I think that 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 has the frank conversations with Jude. I I found myself cross with all of the others: Willem, um, JB, Malcolm, just. For but the then Jude is a liar and secretive, so they don't know how traumatised he is because he doesn't tell them. Yes. It's only Willem that he finally really opens up to. Nobody else knows what's happened to him. They just know that he's... You don't, you don't he think lies. That, that there's a clue there by the, the fact that he so adamantly will not talk about, like... His, uh, my mind would immediately go to, like, something, something yeah, but bad but at the same happened. time, if, if, you, if, you know, how... In, 
even with a really good friend, how invasive can you be? Tell me about your childhood trauma. You know, they might not want to. I think Willem does try to get it out of him. Harold certainly does, his adoptive Mm. father. Um, But I guess we've got to remember that, I mean, Willem had a a really stilted, emotionally stilted upbringing himself, didn't he? He was dealing with his own... And he was a carer, wasn't he? Baggage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he'd lost his his younger brother. Mm. So there's all of that kind of emotional baggage there that these other characters are dealing with. It was only really Malcolm who had been brought up in a kind of quite affluent Manhattan middle-class family and knew what he was doing. I I find Jude, it's funny, I don't hate him. I just find him really frustrating. I want to like him and I I can see why people are compelled to help him. I do think there are a lot of kind of codependent relationships in this novel, which is what makes it quite problematic and fairly triggering, I think, for your average reader. Um... I was just going to say, have any of you read an essay by Angela Long Chu? Yes. Yes, called no. Hanya's Boys. Read it, read it, read it. Yeah. It will change your mind. So um, she <laughs> says about Jude, and she's, she's put it better than I, I can. In truth, Jude is a terribly unlovable character, always lying and breaking promises with the inner monologue of an incorrigible child. The first time he cuts himself, you are horrified. The 600th time, you wish he would aim. Yet Yana Gihara <laughs> loves him excessively, cloyingly. I know that's difficult to hear, Sapphire, but thoughts? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm, I'm open to everybody's views and I can fully understand why everybody feels as they do. Um, I, I think it must just be the social worker in me. I, I, I perhaps am seeing this through a slightly different lens and am... I think one of my frustrations with it, though, mm. is some, as someone who has had serious depression in the past, recovery is always worth fighting for. And the fact that the, this book, not Jude, but this book is essentially saying that some things are just so bleak, so miserable, you're so trapped in a cycle of... And it's not even generational trauma. It's literally Jude's trauma. He's trapped in this cycle. He keeps going into terrible relationships with awful people. Everyone he meets abuses him. Everyone he meets exploits him, apart from these few people, this handful of characters. And he just... You know, he's he's rich. He's successful. He has every opportunity to break that cycle and he doesn't he just goes back to it again and again and again and I I think the author is really irresponsible actually really irresponsible yep really irresponsible (laughs) my beef is with the author Definitely. For presenting the character that way, because I don't, I don't think Jude necessarily has to have a blissful, happy, you know, dancing through the daisies ending. But I'd like to see him working. I'd like to see they also show giving some but, some sign of him having some hope. But that's reality. Not everybody does. That that this story happens time and time again. Um, in reality, there are many people who have been through situations like this, as horrific as this, mm. who who can't get out of it. But I d- you've got a choice. That's reality. But this is not reality. This is her reality. And she's chosen to focus on this reality. And one of the my frustrations really with this book is that I then I read a few things. She doesn't do a lot of interviews, but apparently she met no survivors of childhood abuse. She didn't talk to anyone. She just wrote this book. And I find that really... I actually was quite angry when I found that out. That I do think is a weakness. Okay, let's just move on to, like, weaknesses of the book because I feel like (laughs) we're dancing around talking about it. So let's just get it out in the open. 
Um, I presume what we're referring to is what everyone is kind of labeling this book as torture porn, essentially, or trauma porn. Um, there's varieties of it, but essentially sadness for sadness's sake. Is is this what what you guys are referring to? Do you I wanna... don't even think I'd use the words torture porn or uh, or trauma porn. I just think it's it's melodramatic and repetitive to the point where I literally was just like, okay, I get it. You know, 500 pages of, of lather, rinse, repeat. You could have just written one paragraph going, Jude had a really shit childhood and then he died. <laughs> I mean, it's, it just, it, to me, it's just like, it just goes, it, it layers it on again and again and again to the point where I'm like, oh, please, can you a break from this? You know, Jude must have a good day every now and then. But I don't think he does. And I think that's the point of the book is trying to demonstrate that it is, this is what he feels. It's layer under layer just when you think he's getting his life together. And, and people, not everybody, but like the fact that he, you know, he does get screwed around by people. He does get manipulated again and again. And he, this can happen if, if you, if your life view has been that you have, people have always gone against you and that things have always gone wrong for you to, to the extreme that they have for Jude, where you've, you've faced real serious debilitating trauma then that can happen. You are likely to be exploited again because th that is what happens. Um, and trauma is so debilitating. It affects the body and the mind. So it changes our DNA. To me, it's... it's. I mean, I do have frustrations. I agree a weakness is that she didn't actually talk to any trauma survivors. That is frustrating. I think if you're going to go into a topic that is this serious, then there should be some research done. That feels yeah. like bare minimum. Um, but I think we should be telling, I, I think the story should exist. I, I get that it's sad and that not everybody would want to read it. I agree we could knock off maybe 100 pages or so, if not more. Um, but I do think there's something in the length of it, the fact that again and again we read about the self-harm. Th that is because... I imagine a lot of, I, I feel what Hanya was trying to do is show how that was for Jude, like how it was this constant, how he was always surrounded by, if it's not this, it's this. For those uh, listeners who now no longer want to read A Little Life, <laughs> shall we, I mean, because this is, this is part, I think this is part of the criticism that we're making, um, or these is some of the thoughts that we're having around Jude's backstory, this trauma, which we haven't really spelt out. We've just said it's horrific, it's horrible, mm -hmm. it's repetitive. It, it does feel quite overwhelming and improbable. Um, or it will feel that way to a lot of people coming to this book who haven't experienced that kind of thing or who, or who haven't studied social work or who don't work in that field. So just to give kind of like a recap of actually what happens to him. So he's raised by paedophiles in a monastery. He's kidnapped and he's prostituted in motels by one of the brothers from the monastery. Who grooms him. Who grooms him. Um, he's molested by counsellors at an orphanage. He's kidnapped, tortured, raped and starved by a psychiatrist, whose name I've just blanked out because it's Dr. too... Dr something. Dr Trainer, I think. Yeah. yeah. He's psychologically and physically battered by his partner, Caleb, which I think for me is, is one of the most chilling parts of the book because it feels like, to some degree, he's escaped the trauma of his childhood and now it's being completely relived in a new setting as an adult. And it's, you know, he's locked into this now. So he then has both of his legs amputated. I mean, he has vascular ulcers and lots of different things that I can't remember the names of. He su suffers significant loss. I guess we can give the spoiler, everyone dies. It's not an asteroid hitting Manhattan, but it <laughs> might as well be. One by one, yes. One he also one. has a mysterious illness. 
that is never described. Oh. He just has an illness. That kind of might be AIDS or HIV or... or... Something. Right. And then he kills himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean wouldn't, wouldn't, without sounding too flippant, wouldn't you? It... <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Right. I want to see the musical version of this book. Yes. I mean, yes, that, that is all of it. And, and oh, I can understand why people have problems with it. And, and yes, it's a lot. He is having a lot. Um, he's having a lot of experiences. There's, there's so much trauma. And perhaps um, the way in which it's been explained, like the traumas that she's, he's faced, potentially would not happen like that. Like a psychiatrist, a doctor, a mo- uh, all the you know all the kind of homes that he stays in. But again, uh, this does happen. Maybe yep. not like that. But uh, and again, I, I am obviously coming at this a very different lens, and I am working with, or I'm not currently, but I have in the past, um, and I'm learning constantly about child abuse and and traumatic incidences, domestic violence, all of these things. And these absolutely fucking horrific things are happening to children every day. Like, the statistics are insane. Um, and I perhaps I'm slightly desensitised to it and I, I, have, I am learning to talk about these things in conversations um, with, you know, uh, managers, other social workers, um, the people who have experienced it, sometimes the perpetrators, like... So, so I appreciate that I perhaps came to this book slightly more prepared to read about all this stuff. But it, to me, it still feels important that 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 those conversations need to be had. And I do have an issue, yep. just societal issue, with the fact that we do avoid talking about these things, um, and they are happening. And whilst it would be really lovely if they didn't, my argument ultimately comes back to this: is this does happen and is happening? Um, this story. In, in different ways is playing out for people across the world and they are facing these levels of trauma and their lives are this depressing and Absolutely. this hopeless. Yes. And, and we, we should say, you know, there's a lot of mirth in this conversation, but I think that's around how the authors kind of executed this plot. Mm. But these themes and these topics are, it's really important that they do get aired in fiction and um, they are traumatic. You can't get away from that. One of the issues I have, and Michelle um, mentioned it before, is that, I kind of feel like trauma in this book is, you know, it's this seemingly pervasive idea that you, you, you can never get out of trauma, that you're a victim, you're, you're locked into that, you can never be happy, and that there's no learning or wis- wisdom to be had from, from trauma. And I'm thinking of books like, you know, any novel by Toni Morrison or Jamaica Kincaid or, or millions of other authors where people have really traumatic childhoods, but that's just one rung on the ladder. They use that to then go and make a difference. They use that as a chance for personal growth or societal change. And I guess this just isn't that book. This isn't that book where Jude's going to come out of the cocoon and be changed by his trauma. This is just watching someone kind of whittled down by all of these horrific childhood experiences. And if you take it at face value for, for that kind of book, then it's harrowing, it's difficult to get through, um, but, you know, it's an okay read. I just think, for me, it just really depends on whether you think that's gratuitous and and unnecessary or not. 
Yeah, and for me, I found it the this book not the idea that people have trauma because obviously there are horrible things happening to people right now, but the idea that it all needs to be packed in five hundred pages of it just bang 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 over the head with Jude's trauma. I didn't. I just didn't need that level. Mm. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I. I am just. Yeah, I just fall slightly differently to you guys. I agree with, you know, everything you've said. And, and I and I also totally understand why some people, yeah, really didn't like the book or don't think it should exist. But I just fall on the side of this is realistic for some people. Um, and so I, I feel that that, that, that story can, can and should be told. I get the idea that we want um, stories with hope and we want, you know, it's frustrating when Jude is not, improving and nothing in his life is getting better but you know that that is the reality for some people and to me I'm just like well yeah that that we've it's not a book you go to for hope and I, I don't think it has to be I think there are other books kind of like you've mentioned Joseph where, where that happens um and I'm kind of okay with that because to me I'm like yeah do you know what um that is realistic look I want to bring us on to to any strengths <laughs> if you guys have any I have some um because we've been quite negative um which is fine uh, but yeah, let's anything that you felt was a strength about the book. Like I said, I think the the first sort of three hundred odd chapters where the other characters, I was really drawn into that initially. I like that group dynamic. Yeah, I like the group dynamic. I mean, I thought that the the start of the book was a kind of like it was a false start. I thought it was going to be a kind of post college group of guys having fun in the city, like. What will they become? Who will they fall in love with? And then it became a very different book. And perhaps you know that's part of the reason why I've had such a negative reaction to it. Um, so not a strength, but I have got a theory about why it might be... Because, I mean, it's been an incredibly popular book. It's sold millions and millions of copies. I think millions of copies. Yeah. Um, if you read it as fan fiction, it works quite well. Because, I mean, it, it shares many of the tropes that, that fan fiction has. It's very long. It's kind of got, you know, it's very repetitive. There's, like, excruciatingly, you know, drawn-out observations of minutiae. There's that idea of the, you know, the kind of um, codependent relationship at the centre of the book. And I think and if you lots look, of descriptions of meals, lots of descriptions of meals, there's lots of traveling. And we know that the author was the travel editor at Condé Nast. So that's kind of there's a very descriptive um, passage about Hanoi and this lovely holiday that they go on, which is perhaps being taken from one of her um, <laughs> travel reports <laughs> for Vogue Traveller. Um, she's actually writing her own fan fiction for herself. Well, it does feel like that <laughs> at, 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 to a point. And I'm just wondering, do you know about a subgenre of f fanfic called Hurt Comfort? It's yeah. also called... Yes. You do? Yeah. It's also called Wump. W-H-U-M-P. <laughs> I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. What, what is it? Because I've never heard of this. So these are fanfiction narratives that are mainly written by women. And um, they focus on a male character who is deeply hurt or traumatised in some way. And he is comforted or looked after by a male friend. And I'm doing um, air commas here. Um, and quite often it's used to pair up two characters that wouldn't normally like each other or they'd be opposed, which I feel is the Jude villain dynamic, perhaps. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I'm just thinking, you know, given how popular this is and given how many people say... Uh, you know, I, I don't understand why it's popular. Perhaps fan fiction is one way of looking, of, of explaining why this has done so well. Because mm. it's tapping into all of those ways of thinking about relationships, trauma and the world um, that, you know, 
certainly the, the couple mm. of generations below me understand really well. I have a question, for mm. you, actually. Do you think, because obviously there's this whole thing about dude sexuality and some of the criticism has been like this um, kill your gays kind of trope, which is very tired and, and dull. And I, one of the things I found kind of interesting about it is, is Jude even gay? But do you think, and do you, both of you actually really, but do you think if she wrote this book now, the conversation around sexuality might be different in the book? I don't know. I mean, again, I'm always, I'm, I, again, I'm just looking at it for a trauma lens and I, I was looking at the relationships more as, um, less about what everybody's sexuality was and more thinking like Jude's problem is is the trauma. It's not about, um, I mean, it does seem like he's gay. It seems like he's not straight. That is the vibe that I get and I would imagine, but actually his issues are, are more to do with closeness, vulnerability, his body um, and, the, and the bad memories he has around, around sex. Um, I didn't even really kind of think too much into the sexualities of, of everybody because I guess I was I was too hung up on Jude and what was going on for him. Joseph, what was yours? Um Yeah, kind of similar. I mean it's 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 been it's been touted as a great gay novel. I know um Garth Garth Greenwell who wrote um Cleanness. Have you seen have you read that? No. I think it's been made into a film as well actually. It's a great it's a great book about a very dysfunctional gay relationship. But he said it's um the most ambitious chronicle of the social and emotional lives of gay men to have emerged for many years. And I I kind of disagree with that. Um, I don't think it is a great gay novel, and I don't think it needs to be, but principally, not, not because the author isn't gay. I think you should be able to write about different characters and different experiences, absolutely. But she writes about men who don't know if they are gay. It's all kind of their sexuality is led by their trauma. I think this is what you were saying, Saf. Yeah, that, that's hmm. what I kind of mean is like, I wouldn't say it was, yeah, I definitely would disagree with, with what they've said because actually all these... Nobody seems proud of their sexuality. Nobody seems comfortable with it. I think JB is, is comfortable with his sexuality. Yeah, He's the only one who is. I don't think Jude is a sexual... Because I, I actually think Jude is like um, a dragonfly in amber. I think he's... Um, being, again, the abuse starts when he's like five or something. And he, so he's a child. He hasn't gone through adolescence. Mm. And I think that's actually how everyone in the book responds to him as a child. I mean, this whole caretaking vibe that they all have for him. Yeah. Even though he is supposedly so successful in many other ways, it's still like he's treated, he's really babied. And he, yeah, he's, um, he's atrophied. Yeah, it's an interesting one though. I do want to raise some strengths that I had because I feel that go for it. You two didn't have very many strengths <laughs> for my favourite book. Um, I love Harold. I absolutely love when um, the part when Harold adopts Jude as an adult. I thought that was really beautiful um, and really lovely. And I just, I really liked Harold's chapters. I, I thought Harold was a great character. Um, and, and obviously he, he also had this complex backstory, losing a child and and the fact that he was willing to kind of like love again and, and how his love for Jude grew and the difficulties that he had because he could never actually get close to him. Um, and, and that whole thing of, yeah, you know, all the times that, that Harold really wanted to like hug Jude but knew that Jude didn't want that. Um, and when he kind of confronts uh, Caleb in the restaurant when he realises that... that 
all the damage to Jude has been done by Caleb. Um, that kind of anger, that fatherly anger. And I, I just thought that whole part of of the novel was really beautiful to me when they have the ceremony and just just when they ask Jude and Jude's really worried that they're he's presuming they don't they don't want anything to do with him anymore. And actually Harold and Julia are really nervous to ask mm-hmm. if they can adopt him. And I just thought that was to me, I really loved that. I bookmarked it and noted it down because I was like, oh my goodness. I love that section too. And I th- think it was really special because it actually went ahead you were just kind of waiting for there to be something that would stop this adoption from happening and Harold is such a fantastic protective father figure and he really comes into his own towards the end of the novel yeah yeah that that was one of my favorites and another strength for me was the writing I I did think it was yes perhaps too long um and the content of the writing might be up for debate as to whether we think it should be there or not but I think it has to be said, she is a good writer. She is good at writing relationships. Um, there was really good descriptions and and I kind of really loved all those those parts of it. And I, I did find myself thinking, I, I think this is well written. I mean, the start of it gives me kind of um, kind of like Donna Tartt vibes, secret history, like academia. Yeah. I know they're kind of past university pretty much as we get into it, but that, that was the kind of vibes I was getting um, if if the secret history was really really fucking sad um but yeah I I thought it was quite well written I think an editor could have chopped it down a bit to be honest but that for me was a strength um one thing I'm intrigued so I'm just eyeing up our our producer in the corner um James give me give me a nod or a shake of the head would you based on the discussion we've just had would you read a little life he says yes I would yeah he he would. Okay, I'm happy with that. That 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 feels like a good judge of, of you go. how well we've yeah. uh, we've got a copy here <laughs> for you. Yeah, Michelle's desperate to get a copy. <laughs> I never want to see that book again. <laughs> you can have it. No, you can, yeah, you just can quickly. Keep, yeah, Merry, can just... Merry Christmas, James. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, where do we land on number of stars? If you had to kind of give this, um, should we say out of five? How many stars would you would you give a little life? Um, and would you recommend it to other people? I'd give it one star and no. <laughs> okay, don't hold back. Okay, yeah, don't sugar that pill, Michelle. I would probably give it 3.5 stars. I like the pacing and I like the writing. And I think it's one of those books that would really work well as a Netflix series. So I'm kind of looking, <gasps> I'm kind of looking forward to that happening. Oh, see, I didn't see the play, so I've, I've got to catch yeah. up on the box set and stuff. I, I kind of forgot to discuss this, actually, in terms of weaknesses. I didn't... Um, no, I didn't think the play worked. The play, the, the, too much happens in the book for it to work when it's condensed into something visual. Um, yes, the, I mean, they show so much of the, um, like the, the self-harm and all of these things are shown. But uh, yeah, it, 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 I don't think, I don't personally think it worked. I didn't, have, I didn't walk away from the play with any love for the characters. Whereas when I read the book, I'm like, oh my God, well, um... Harold, like, you know, Andy, Jude, I'm like, I felt real love for these characters and I just didn't. Um, So I land on a, I think I would land on like a four star, I think, Mm -hmm. to me, slightly too long, perhaps. Um, And yes, there are some problems with it. I will give you that. But yes, I would recommend it. And yes, I think it's worth four stars. Good. Well, it's always good to have different opinions. Yeah, what, what <laughs> and we certainly have those. <laughs> we have. What yes, but start. we can agree to differ. We can. I mean, yeah, we've really, uh, 
really gone gone for it on our first episode in terms of um, <laughs> differences in opinion. But I, I like that. We welcome that. Um, okay, so now we are at that part of the show where we try to help one of our listeners find their next must-read book. Are we ready? We are. We are. <laughs> Lovely. Our request today comes from Dan. Your novel thoughts. I've just finished the SC books by Ursula Le Guin and I'm looking to explore the fantasy genre further. I wonder if you could suggest a good place to start. I'm looking for a book or series with strong world building which is intelligent and well written. Thank you. Ooh. Ooh. Well, I'm a, a sci-fi and fantasy geek, so this is right up my street. I'd say if you've read the five Earthsea books, um, make sure you've read the, all the short stories and the tales of Earthsea because there are stories in that that connect and bridge gaps between the original trilogy and then the additional two books that Le Guin wrote. And then the other thing I'd say is that Le Guin has written loads across science fiction and fantasy. And um, there's one series about people, they're called Powers, I think, the, the, that trilogy. Um, they're beautiful. And then there's also her um, her classic sci-fi, um, like The Left Hand of Darkness, which is just an amazing book. And um, yes, yeah, so I'd start with Le Guin and just and keep going with her. Obviously, then you've got your more sort of YA fantasy, of which there are many now. Um, Sarah J Mass is quite a good one and she's written several different series. So she's one you could explore. And then there's a fun um, series co- called Temeraire, which are set during the Napoleonic Wars um, in a parallel universe where there are dragons. Love it. That sounds fantastic. And there are five or six of those, so that's, again, quite a long series that you can get stuck into. But the first one is Temeraire. Temeraire is the name of of the hero dragon, and the different navies use the dragons as air support. I mean, I love that, and I'm definitely writing that down because I love dragons. Now, I've not read a lot of fantasy, but two books come to mind, which are both, I I think both would go into fantasy, so I'm just going to throw them out because I really liked them. Um, So one was Roadside Picnic. Now, I cannot remember the authors, um, and I also think I'd struggle to pronounce their surnames if I'm honest. Um, Joseph, you're looking at me and nodding. Do you remember who the authors are? I love this book, and I can't remember who the authors are, but I'm pretty convinced they've got monosyllabic Russian names. Yes, they have. And um, it was made into a film by um, Andrei Tarkovsky called Stalker. Ah, okay, I didn't know it was made into a film. Which is brilliant, one of my favourites. Arkady Strukatsky and Boris Strugatsky. It's like being at the UN. (laughs) That's so good. I'm so impressed. Well, I thought that was brilliant. I think it... Uh, it crosses over into kind of sci-fi vibes, but it very much fits within that realm. And I thought it was really good. I think, to be fair, SF Masterworks, in terms of what they've published, like really brilliant books. And I think you could kind of work your way through loads of them. Some of them fall far more into sci-fi. Yeah. But there's some brilliant books within there. And and yeah, I think you could kind of go through all of that and, and find some stuff. The other thing I read recently, which I really liked, was The Poppy Wars by R.F. Quang. So she wrote Yellow Face and Babel as well, both of which I really liked. Um, but I thought I'd give her third, well, it's not her third, it was actually her first, but it was the only one, the last one that I hadn't read. Um, so I gave that a go and I really liked it. I thought that was good world building. Um, it's complex. It is. It feels serious, whereas some fantasy that I like, like Fourth Wing, feel a bit more, I guess, more YA. Yeah. Um, got that kind of romance element, whereas this doesn't, The Poppy Wars doesn't have that. It's more, it is war, really, fantasy war. Um, loved that, thought it was brilliant. 
I'd recommend. I really like the Poppy Wars, and I would um, I would recommend that as well. And as Michelle has, has just said, um, if you've read Earthsea, then you need to read The Left Hand of Darkness and all of those other brilliant Ursula Le Guin um, standalone novels. I am going to recommend the Inheritance trilogy and another kind of series by N.K. Jemsen. Do you know about N.K. Jemsen? I do not. I don't. She's an amazing black feminist American sci-fi writer. She's won every prize going. Um, and I think um, in terms of like fantastic character development and world building, it's on a par with Ursula Le Guin. So the first book is The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms. And that's centred around a character called Yane Dar, who is a young barbarian outcast. And um, her mother dies under suspicious circumstances and she's called to the Kingdom of Sky. And she's told that she's um, next in line. Um, and she spends the series defending the throne. It's kind of a bit of a political thriller. It's very fantasy um, rather than sci-fi. Um, and I think it's got quite nice um, earthy vibes. Yane Adar reminds me a, a lot of Jed and the struggles he goes through in Earthsea. Ged. 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 Oh, so this is it. I, I've never heard that name said. <laughs> I once worked for a Just chief executive called Jed. Call him Sparrowhawk. Ged. 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 Right, okay. Thank you for that. <laughs> I, I skipped Anglo-Saxon at university. <laughs> I think it's actually... Um, um, I read how to how to pronounce it or i heard ursula Gwyn doing a lecture or something i can't remember it's definitely ged no i appreciate it well anyway the woman in this story is like the bloke <laughs> in Earthsea. <laughs> perfect so uh, hopefully dan that helps you out a little bit um we will put links to all of our recommendations in the show notes as we mentioned earlier um and please do let us know if we've we've kind of missed off any fantasy gems that you have loved i've and... got so many more i could oh, recommend well, there's plenty of time plenty <laughs> of time um okay so next week what are we reading Next week, we will be discussing Disobedient Bodies by Emma Dabbery, which is a radical, incisive and thoughtful new book. It's almost an essay, really, I'd say, a long essay from the author of What White People Can Do Next and Don't Touch My Hair. It looks at sort of the dull beauty standards of the day and how we might disentangle them from patriarchy and capitalism and learn to love our bodies so make sure you join us for a deep dive into disobedient bodies and more general book and culture chat. As always, links to everything we've been talking about today will be in the show notes. Please feel free to like and subscribe to the pod, tell a friend or leave us a review. It all helps. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at novelthoughts underscore pod. Bye-bye. Bye. Ciao.